I'm Elizabeth Messer, and we're so glad that you're joining us for this introduction to the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. This message was first recorded in February in the President's House at Grove City College. So as you listen, imagine yourself among 80 young women in the class of 2020 as we begin our eight-week study of Hebrews. In this first lesson, we learn about the author and purpose of the letter, and we'll discuss the first few verses which serve as an introduction. This letter is packed with encouragement for the Jewish believers of the early church and also serves as an encouragement for us today. Thanks for joining us. Lord, we thank you for this time um, to just pause in the middle of the week to come together and to be together in your word. Lord, we thank you that um, you are here with us. Would you just open our eyes and our ears to hear from you? Um, Would you send your Holy Spirit um, just to teach us through your words? Just give us deeper revelations about you tonight. We love you, um, Jesus, and thank you for loving us first your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this year we're doing the book of Hebrews and we're going to talk more about that. But I actually want to start with a passage from um, the Gospels. So if you want to open up your booklet and to lesson one, and it has our key verse. And we're actually going to start with, um, not with the book of Hebrews, but we're going to start with a passage from the Gospels. It's Luke 24, 13 through 32. So this is on the road. This is after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Okay, I wanted to start with this passage because as I was working on this in the fall, I, all of a sudden, um, I was, we were working in Hebrews and there's so much Old Testament imagery and so many passages from the Old Testament that are quoted in the book of Hebrews. And I had that revelation kind of as I was working on it this fall that the book of Hebrews is kind of like getting to sit in on that conversation that Jesus had with those disciples when he was on the road to them on the road to Emmaus. And um, I just I just had that picture of haven't you always wondered what would it have been like to be a part of that conversation? Um, you know, don't you wish you could have like eavesdropped on that, that they had something like an iPhone, that somebody could have recorded that conversation, that sermon um, that Jesus gave about himself. And, um, you know, wouldn't you like to listen to that podcast over and over? Can you imagine what that was like to hear Jesus go through all the scriptures? And you have to understand, too, that when he talks about going through all the scriptures he means what they had at that time, which would have been the Torah. So it would have been all the law and the prophets, like it says, starting with the law and the prophets. Um, he he opened the, he interpreted the scriptures to them um, in the things concerning himself. And even today, I was I was rereading this over, and just how it talks about that they're starting from Jerusalem. And they're on their way to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So I was just thinking about that. Like, okay, they're walking together for seven miles. Like, how long would this sermon have been? Because they got to that point, and Jesus acts like he's going to go on further. And they say, oh, no, stay with us. Um, Come and have dinner with us. But, um, you know, how long do you think that would have been? Two hours? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I do know that I would have loved to hear that, to hear Jesus interpret the scriptures concerning himself. And um, so what, what do you think that would have been like to be a part of that conversation? Um, you know, it's interesting because the, the author of the book of Hebrews is really steeped and the Jewish scriptures. And we're going to go back and see when we go through the book, he's going to quote Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, lots of the Psalms. 
And then even the prophets, there's going to be Isaiah and Haggai and Habakkuk. Um, there's going to be so many different references to the Old Testament. And there are actually so many that I had the idea um, this fall. I was like, you know, what would be really helpful for me is to take the Old Testament survey class. So this fall, um, and that's, that's why I love the book of Hebrews. I say that we get the two-for-one special because you get, the, you get the Old Testament and the New Testament all in one book. But there's so many references to the Old Testament that I thought, you know, it would be really helpful for me to take Old Testament survey. So this fall, Mrs. Dutt, who Mrs. McNulty already mentioned, and then Bev Lowe, if y'all know Bryce and Olivia, they're among, we all sat on the back row in Dr. Bean's class, you know, like, oh, please don't let him call on us, you know, so we were in there with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores sitting there taking his class, but it was so helpful because there's so many allusions to the Old Testament in the letter to the Hebrews, and, and we'll see that as we get um, into the book. But I decided, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about this next time, but I decided that that's why I decided to name the study Finally Fulfilled, because um, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is talking about, yes, all of these things were important, um, but they were only important because they pointed to the Messiah who was coming, and these things are finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And we'll see that as we go, as we go through the book of Hebrews. But, um, you know, my prayer for you is that as we go through, that you would have that kind of burning hearts experience. That, um, you know, just as these disciples talked about being on the road to Emmaus, and were our hearts not burning within us when he was going back and pointing out, don't you see, all these things were pointing towards me. And um, so I hope that you'll, it'll help you kind of see things in a fresh way. It'll have, that you'll have kind of a different perspective on Jesus as the Messiah um, as we go through the book of Hebrews. So let's go ahead and get started. So just a quick introduction to the letter to the Hebrews. And Hebrews is found after First and Second Timothy, after Thessalonians, and Philemon. <coughs> Of towards the back, um, but that's where you find the book of Hebrews. And don't worry, we're we're only going to do the first four verses tonight, kind of an introduction, and that that will be plenty to get us started. Um, but who was this letter written to? Or as my English professor has been corrected me, it's supposed to be to whom is this letter written to? Yes, you can. T- he he proofreads my work. But um, so obviously this letter was written to the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, but not just to Jews, okay, but to the Jewish believers. Um, so remember that um, when the church first started, it was, the message was to the Jews, and it was mostly centered around Jerusalem. So it wasn't until around 50 A.D., that Paul came to Jerusalem and met with the leaders there, and they gave him permission to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. So this is a letter to those early Jewish believers that were centered in Jerusalem, the very beginning of the church, okay? And um, this was a time of persecution for the Jewish believers, and we'll see that 
throughout the book of Hebrews, he's going to kind of allude to that. Um, but they were in danger of kind of drifting away and going back to the old Jewish traditions just because they were being persecuted, they were being suffering, they were suffering for what they believed. Um, they had lost everything that they that identified them as Jews. So the Levite priest and the altars and sacrifices, the, the temple, all these other Jewish rituals and traditions that had been such an important part of their life um, didn't matter anymore because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so they were really being persecuted because of that. And so the author of this book, is, of this letter, is writing to encourage them to not give up but to hold tight to their tightly to their faith and in Jesus Christ. Okay, so who is writing this letter to the Hebrews? And the short answer is that we're not really sure. Okay, but the longer answer is that um, we do know that the author was male because of the grammar that she used, the Greek grammar that she used. Um, and some people suggest that it might be Paul. That's kind of what the traditional thinking has been. Um, but it's very unlike his other letters. It doesn't have the personal greetings. Um, it's a more formal style of language. It's a more polished style. Um, and so it's a, it's a little bit different. So some people aren't. That's why some people say, well, it might be Paul, but it might not. Um, but one thing we do know for sure is it's someone who is very, very familiar with the Torah, with the Jewish scriptures. They were very, very familiar with that. They knew that backwards and forward. And they were also very familiar with the Jewish customs and traditions and rituals. So they, they knew that very well. Okay, so why was the book of Hebrews written? Um, so as I, as I talked mentioned a little bit before, um, they, these were Jewish believers who had heard the good news of salvation through God's Son, but they were tempted to go back to what was familiar to them, um, the rites and rituals of the Jewish religion, specifically the need for the temple sacrifice for the remissions of sins. So these were things that identified them as a people. And can you imagine, these were things that had been passed down generation to generation for over 50 generations. And so they were really going against um, their families and just a long line of tradition to let go of some of these things. Um, the author is writing to correct the mistaken idea that the Jewish believers had lost everything. He wants to show them how much they have gained through faith in Jesus Christ. And when was this book written? So the exact date is unknown, but we do know that it was written before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, because the author often refers to the temple and um, the sacrifices in the present tense. So commentary suggests around 65 AD, which would make it one of the first um, letters that was written in the New Testament. Um, and it's really interesting because, like I said, this is before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's almost like a prophetic gift to them to encourage them before the temple is destroyed and they're no longer able to make sacrifices there. 
Okay, so let's look at, let's go ahead and get into the book of Hebrews. So I passed out some little verse cards. Every week I'll ask a few people um, to read for me. So I gave someone Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Okay, thanks, Amy. Can you read that out loud for us? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than their heirs. Oh, than theirs. Uh-huh. Great, thank you. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by Yeah, by the prophets. By the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his by his son. So what's the difference between hearing from God through the prophets? And hearing from him through his son. What would you say the difference? Uh-huh. I think I'll becomes more personal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the difference, right, between sending a messenger and then saying, no, this is so important. I'm not just going to send a messenger. I'm going to send my son. Yeah, it's absolutely more personal. Good. I love the reference to where it says God spoke to our fathers, um, that it's, it's referring back to um, like a covenantal God, a God who has been, this is the same God who's been with us through our fathers, or some translations say to our forefathers. Um, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Um, what else? Anything else about what's, what else? is the difference between hearing from the prophets and then hearing from God's son. Anything else? Uh-huh. I feel like with the prophets, you were always wondering whether it was a true prophet or not, and whether they were actually speaking the truth, but with his son, it's actually God speaking it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an authority. There's an authority there that, um, you know, with the prophets, is this God? Is this a false prophet? But this is the Son. This is the Son of God. So the authority that I think comes from that, um, just from his position, this is God's Son who's speaking to us. You know, it's like straight from the throne uh, that God would be speaking to us. Um. Yeah, any, anything else that you notice about the Old Testament prophets and mm-hmm. the difference? Uh-huh. Well, with like the prophets or priests, like they were the only ones that had access, but by it being the son, it's like intimate that anybody had access and was bringing it to them. Right, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that even more um, in another lesson. We're going to talk about um, God. Jesus becoming like our brother and, and what it means to be a part of God's family. So you're right. It's, it's much more personal. It's much more intimate um, in that way. 
Good. Okay. So we're going to look at just this little paragraph. And remember how I told you that the Greek um, that this is translated from is a much more kind of polished type of Greek. It was really interesting to me when I was reading a commentary about this, that all of this, so starting at verse one through verse four, if you read it in the Greek, is all one entire sentence. Can you imagine that? And um, it's amazing to me. I was, look, I was looking at it more closely today. Just the summary of it, it's going to hit on so many different things that we're going to talk about um, in, in the book of Hebrews. But um, So I want us to look a little bit more at this passage because, like I said, it's a summary. It's an introduction to the book, but it's also kind of a summary of the different things that we're going to talk about. Um, so I want you to read through the verses on your own. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. And I want you to underline anything that we learn about Jesus through this passage. So go ahead and just go read through it on your own, and you can mark it right there in your book. Jesus from this passage, so from these four verses, which are just one long, entire introduction to the book of Hebrews, what are some things that we learn about him? He's God's son. He's God's son, yeah. That in the past, he sent the prophets. This time, God sent his son. So we learn that. the heir of all things. So for the Jews, they would very much have understood that the firstborn son, that it was a place of, it had as much to do with position, um, that it, it was a place of inheritance. So he was the heir of all things. And we're going we're gonna to come back to that in just a minute. What else? the exact imprint of God, or some translations say the exact representation of God. And the imagery there is, is that, uh, remember how a king used to have a seal or a sign that was their special sign, and then to give their seal of approval or to show their authority in a matter, they would take that and, and make the imprint and that's how you would know that this was from the king. This was from the authority. 
but it was the exact imprint. Um, or another image would be um, like in Caesar's time, how they had a coin, and remember how Jesus says, whose picture is on that coin? Um, it would be the same idea. It would be the imprint of the Father. So it's the, it's the exact representation. And do you remember when uh, the disciples, when Philip says to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replies, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So the exact imprint of the Father, the, the exact representation. Good. Anything else? So we learned that um, he's the heir of all things. What about... Um, one thing that's really interesting to me about Hebrews, and we'll hear this several times in the book, is it's talking about, um, there's one verse that'll come up later on that talks about how Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, it, he'll, it'll talk about, you know, he's the beginning and the end. Um, is there a reference that you see anywhere that talks about Jesus being with God in the beginning? Yeah, the world was created through him. So you have to remember, Hebrews was written before the Gospel of John. So um, remember back to John 1, where it talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God, and that all things were created through him and for him. So even here, it's talking about kind of the supremacy of Christ, that, that he was with God in the very beginning. It's going all the way back to the beginning. And it says that all things were created through him, and it says something else, too, about that. Did he create things and then just kind of let them go on his own, on their own? He's upholding the universe by the word of his power. Yeah, he's upholding the universe. So he's all things are sustained through him, which sounds a lot like Colossians 1, right? That they're upheld through him. All things in him and through him, all things hold together. Okay, so it's not, it's, it's not a God who just set things in motion and then walked away. They're sustained through him, too. Yeah, there's the image about he's the radiance of God. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, anything else that you learn about Jesus through that that one long sentence that tells us about God? Anything else? He purified sins. Yeah, absolutely. It says after the purification of sins, um, that he he is he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, um, and we're going to talk about we're going to have a whole lesson where we talk about. Um, Jesus as our high, great high priest um, and what that means. So, great. Anything else that you think? He was the radiance of the glory of God, not Yeah, he's the radiance of the glory of God. And that's, that is actually our, um, our verse. We're going to get, hold, hold that thought because we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, um, one thing, I was looking over this today, 
And I was thinking, I was just kind of struck by the fact that um, this introduction and everything the author gets in this one, these first four verses. And one thing I realized as I was even looking over it today is that the author in this one sentence gets the entire creation, fall, redemption narrative in this one passage. So if you think about the creation, it says through whom he also created the world. So it's telling us that Jesus was there with God in the very beginning, okay? And then we have the fall. It talks about he, he gave purification for sins. So it's talking about there was a, a problem. There was the sin problem that Jesus dealt with that needed to be dealt with. And then redemption, after making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So he, he made a sacrifice. He made a way for the purification of sins. And the fact that he's seated shows that that's finished. There's no need for it to go on. And then, um, so we have creation, fall, redemption. And then the last one is consummation. when Jesus will come and make all things new. And for that, we go back to that God appointed him heir of all things. That he will be king of kings and lord of lords. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, in this one passage of scripture, we have like the whole create, you know, um, redemptive narrative in this one passage. So there's so much there, and that's why I was like, for this first part, we're just going to do this little bit. And there's even more that we could talk about. The next question um, talks about that Calvin writes of the threefold office that Jesus fulfills as the Messiah, as our prophet, priest, and king. How do you see these roles fulfilled and affirmed through this passage of Scripture? And um, this question, I'm going to let you guys discuss with your small group when you go on, because there's more that there's even more that we could talk about it. But I want you to talk about that with your small group. So, so let's go. We're going to talk for just a little bit about the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. So, what comes to your mind when you hear that word radiance? Let's go back to that for a minute. The radiance of the glory of God. There was something about that word that just stood out to me. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word radiance? How would you describe it to someone? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, light. I get this image of the sun, S-U-N, and these sunbeams coming out from the sun. They're they're a part of the sun, but they're shining out on their own. This, this beautiful picture of radiance, how it's still a part of the light, but it's going out and, and bringing that light to other places. And so let's look at some other places in scripture where we read about Jesus as the radiance of God. And first we're going to look at Daniel 10. So I gave that, is that when you, Margaret? Okay. Okay, so we're going to go back to Daniel. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Wow. Okay, so Daniel, one of the Old Testament prophets, has this vision of one who is like a son of man. And talk about that part again. It says his eyes were like torches. What is that part? His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. Yeah. So this radiant glory that's coming um, off of this this son of man that um, Daniel has this vision of. Um, So that's back in Daniel. And then who has Mark 9, 2 through 8? Okay. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before him and... His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Okay, so here, Jesus takes his closest companions with him, and he kind of pulls back the curtains. Um, There's this kind of unveiling, this is who I really am. So they get this glimpse of the glorified Jesus. And did you notice when she read, who did it say was standing on both sides? Remember? Yeah, Elijah and Moses. So, again, here's the law and the prophets all affirming this is the Son of God. Um, and God himself, there they hear this voice that says, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Um, but they get this glimpse even before the resurrection of the glorified Jesus, this radiant um, radiant, glowing, even hard to describe in words what it's like, but they get this they get this privilege of seeing kind of this unveiling of him. Okay, and then who has Revelations 1, uh, 12 through 18? Okay, Laura has that. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I die, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Uh, I love that. 
part where it says, and his face was shining like the sun. Yeah, so again, it's this picture of the resurrected Jesus, the glorified Jesus, as um, we're getting a glimpse here of what of the Jesus in the heavenlies. Um, not not only the way he was seen on earth, but what he how he's seen is in the heavenlies, the radiance of the glory of God. Um, so all of those, the one from Daniel and the Transfiguration and Revelation, give you this picture of when you pull back that heavenly curtain, who this really is. Um, it's it's and so I hope that gives you just kind of, it's hard to kind of get your mind around it or put it into words, but I hope that gives you a picture. So yeah, in Revelations 1.8, we read, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord of God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this kind of timelessness of who Jesus <laughs> is too. So how do the passages that we read together change your perception of Jesus um, and it can be the passages, I'm going to let you discuss this in your small group, but ha- the passages that we read that talk, speak to the radiance of God's glory, or you can go back to two, thinking about the introductory part. What are some things that you thought that kind of made you um, think about Jesus in a different way than maybe you have before? Okay, so we're going to wrap, we're going to wrap up our time here. Let me just say a, a a kind of closing prayer for us. Father, thank you for revealing the radiance of your glory through your son, Jesus Christ. Through this study of the book of Hebrews, help us to grow in a deeper understanding of who Jesus is for us and all that he has done for us. Amen. Okay, great. Uh, what we're going to do now is give encouraged by that message. Please join us for the following lessons and be sure to subscribe, like, and comment on this podcast Elizabeth Messer shares on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you.